Hi, everyone, and welcome to AB Conversations, where we will help you CFP your way out of it. A podcast where you get into the minds of a couple certified financial planners on how we think and feel about everyday financial planning questions and what should really matter most to you. A healthier financial life starts now. Hi. Hey. All right. Funny Rock seeing you here. Yeah. Now we now we can start. Really struggle. <laughs> well, it yeah. is. A struggle to get started, but it is an action-packed. Uh, we are full of information today, so maybe we yeah. should just like get into not, it. It's pool season. There's no dip in our toe in the water here. Let's just jump right in. <laughs> All right, cannonball. So it's like a cold plunge. So <laughs> right. today's t- today's topic um, is going to be about how the FAFSA form, the federal or the free application for federal student aid um, is going to be changing a little bit for this upcoming year. I guess it's for the 2024-2025 year because it's always a year behind. Um, But these announcements were made within the last few weeks, within the last month, Um, some changes to not only the formula that goes into what our families expected to pay, but then there's some some other updates underneath the surface that we'll go go yeah. through. But in in our minds, these it kind of flew. I, at least to me, it feels like it flew under the radar. I don't know that it really made major headline news, but when we actually go through, we'll go through some of these impacts. Yeah, they're they're not they're not in un, unsubstantial. They're not insignificant changes. I mean, yeah. these, these could be major changes for families to help pay for college education and and for kids themselves so oh that was yeah kind of odd that it didn't make major headlines like a lot of other issues do right now hence that like created the urge that (laughs) for us to do a little podcast right this is a financial planning podcast with our clients um while we maybe work more in more volume with people that maybe pass that phase of life where they're saving for education um that's kind of the, the theme that you're going to hear today is paying for college, I think, just got more difficult, right? Yeah. So while we'll talk about what's changing, what the implications may be, the implications, there's going to be a theme here of, man, the, the onus is being put back on the individual, not unlike many years ago when pensions were going away and 401ks mm-hmm. became more of a thing. It was just a different way of going about it, but the onus became on the saver. And I think this new formula here and everything that's going into it fits under that umbrella. It's going to be on you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we'll start off because of these changes. Typically the FAFSA is open and available for you to start to submit your application and and go through that process October 1st of every year. This year now being with these updated changes, supposedly it may not be available until December. So for those out there that either are about to do this or have done it in the past and still have a child in college, Don't expect to be able to do this October 1st again this year. But um, one of those changes, which this is, I would say, the most minor impact among all of these, and it's really no impact other than a name change. So what used to be called the expected family contribution or the EFC, that was the number that after you filled out your FAFSA that you you or your family were expected to contribute to that higher education cost in that given year. 
they're changing the name of that from the EFC or the expected family contribution to the student aid index, the SAI. It really yeah. is, there's no change necessarily to it. It's just a name change to standardize it. Um, that's really the extent of, of that update. Yeah, and to put that kind of into planning terms though, both the student and the parent, there's a formula for each one of them on of their eligible assets and their yeah. income, what percentage in each of those, like think like a little grid here, what mm -hmm. percentage of each of those um, is going to then be expected to be what you pay towards education, whether you can afford that or not is a right. different story, but right. they have to start somewhere with what you're expected to pay. And that's not the same for everybody, right? right. It's completely dependent on your assets, your income, your child's assets, right? What you have saved in their name. Yep. And if, if they're earning income, Right. Yeah. And usually, usually that's right. If your your kid, my kid is earning income, it's usually because I want to spend some money here. Or I got <laughs> mom and dad are making me pay my insurance, you know, on right. The car. Right. Yep. Um, some of that's expected to go towards college. So I know this yeah. isn't about that today, but just to clarify that whole student aid index, that expected family contribution, um, it's an important part of the planning. Yeah. So then real quick, I just let's let's talk about that hierarchy just to kind of give some context. So from the parent's side, income is treated, I guess, more sensitively than overall assets, meaning your, your income is more of a primary driver of what that expected contribution is than the assets that you have, but the assets are factored in. And on the student side, same thing. The income is more important than the asset necessarily either, or you know, existing savings, but the, the student's income and assets are treated more sensitively, meaning it's it's more expected to contribute if the student has higher income or has higher assets than the parents do. If that all made sense, yeah, it was like the, so the hierarchy. Keep keep money out of your child's name and tell them to get a job that pays them under the table. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Can we flag this for compliance? <laughs> but so, here's, so yeah, yeah. Here's here's where it gets kind of crappy then. You know what what is significantly changing about this expected family contribution i'm probably going to keep calling it that i'm sorry yeah um, no, me too. it's when you're going to be in the spot like i'm going to be where you've got two children going to college at the same time right gabriel mm -hmm. would be a senior when lucas is going to be a freshman mm -hmm. so traditionally if you had more than one child in college you'd get a break on that right, right. if you had three enrolled at the same time Again, we're just dividing what your expected family contribution, if it was 40 with one in college and the next one starts, now it's going to be down at 20 for each college. That, that's each child. That's the way it was. Right. That discount, per my understanding, is being eliminated. Right, right. So in your example, right, if, if you had one child, then your, your EFC number, your student aid index number was $40,000 in any given year. That's what is expected for the family to contribute. Again, you said it earlier, whether they have it or not, then you go to plan B and you figure out the loan, other loan right, options right. or you know, paying for it. When you had two children in school, they essentially cut that EFC in half, that number in half. So your total expected as a family was still 40,000, 20 to this child, 20 to that child. But in terms of the family, it, it shouldn't feel much different. But now moving forward, as you said, they're essentially removing that discount. So if it's yeah. forty thousand for one child and it's forty thousand for the other, now you're up at eighty thousand expected to contribute. So really, they they just they took away 
that that break to families that will end up having multiple kids in college at the same time. Um, and I think I don't, I don't remember the senator's name that they kind of attributed that to in his honor. So I'm assuming he passed. But the the idea being it felt unfair for either people that only had one child or that spaced their children out to avoid that. Again, I get it in theory, but the reality of the situation is I think most people end up having children closer together. And ultimately this is just going to put, again, you said it earlier, it's gonna put the onus on families and individuals and students to do more of the saving or just have to pay out of pocket. Yeah, that's clearly the takeaway here. And that's clearly what needs to happen if your goal still is to try to partially or fully fund your kid's education. I mean, at some point, all these changes we're going to talk about, if the onus is on us as the savers, as the parents, mm -hmm. you, you know, there is a conversation to say, or reconsider what's most important to you, right? Because college education expenses were already not cheap. They're right. not getting right. cheaper. And now the ability to pay less based on this formula is it's getting worse. Yeah. Wait so, till we keep going through the list. <laughs> there is one bright spot. Uh, maybe we should should have led with that, but we'll save it. So more more bad news for anybody that is a small business owner or owns family farmland. In the past, those two assets were essentially exempt from the whole FAFSA process, right? It was not if you had equity in a business or equity in, in your farmland, um, that didn't negatively impact you from this expected family contribution. Well, now those exemption, oh, go ahead. Just to be clear, um, I, I, I know it doesn't fall directly underneath here, but I probably should have set it in the formula too. Retirement accounts fall under that. It, they are exempt. Well. Right. right, so when we're talking about parents' assets, child's assets, if you have money stocked away in a retirement account, that you're not expected to withdraw money from retirement to pay for education. So just right. wanted to be clear yes. about that too. Yes, that's a good good clarification. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when it comes now to a business asset or just equity in, in farmland, which it exists, um, those exemptions are now gone. So it's if you have equity built up in your business and you have farmland that has equity, that is now going to go into the calculation. And again, it just means that what you're going to be expected to pay for education is probably now going to be a little bit higher. Um, again, just putting more of the onus to save, or I think where, where I'm seeing this with Ava starting college in, in uh, August, it just puts more of the pressure on either private student loans or the parent plus loans, um, because those have much higher uh, lending caps in terms of dollar amounts than the, the subsidized or even the un, unsubsidized federal loans directly in the student's name. Those, those limits are very low compared to the overall cost of college education right now. So you're, again, they're kind of forcing more of right. that onto the family. Yeah, and I, so thinking back to planning implications, if you're a business owner or, I mean, here we are in Berks County, we know lots of people, <laughs> lots of clients that family farms, farmland. Yeah. Um, Part of the planning challenge, even before we're talking about now this, is that you dump money into your property, your farm, you dump money into the business, you're reinvesting there. We often mm -hmm. say there's a lot of really good reasons to make sure that the business is working for you too, and you start to pull equity or you start to pull assets out in order to support you. 
-hmm. whether that's just something as simple as a cash reserve or funneling money into a retirement account, all the more important here that if you are having success, if you do have equity, those are not, the business is not a liquid asset. Farmland is not a liquid asset. If part of your goal is to pay for education and now you're being expected to do that with these assets, um, all the more important to plan on the front end to start to build a reserve that's not just equity in the business. Right, yeah, yep. So the next one, which I, I feel like it falls somewhere in between a minor and a, and a major impact, but it's, it's specific to families of divorce. Um, so historically, it was the custodial parent. So whoever essentially had the child the most during that given year, physically, time. right? Physical yeah. custody, yeah, time, um, was the one to fill out the FAFSA form. And, and that's where the, the aid and the loans were all kind of based on. Well, now they're changing the rules to, it's not who has custody in terms of time, it's who spends the most, which parent spends the most in any given year on the child. That's the person that should be submitting the FAFSA form. Again, the idea being, um, put the onus on the person with probably the higher income or the higher assets. So that again, it puts, puts more of that pressure on the family to be the one to, to pay for it, not so much on the grants and the loans and, and the student aid. How they're going to enforce that? Yep. <laughs> Don't know. <No> idea. <laughs> but just another thing to, to keep in mind, if that is your situation, that will be changing for this upcoming, the next FAFSA form that's gonna to need to be completed. So I'm guessing this is early enough that maybe there'll be more details to follow. The guidance, they'll, have yeah. to, they'll have to, yeah, guidance is a perfect word. I'll have to clarify how that's going to work out and how they are going to force people to substantiate who spent more and, and how they calculate all that. But that is a change that is, is also coming. Cool, go ahead. Yes. I'll, let you, I'll let you give the good one. Oh, I get to get the good news. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can make we can make a plug for a podcast we did a long time ago on the concept yeah. of grandparent owned 529 plans. So 20 second spiel, 529 plans are an education savings tool. They became pretty popular, but it allows you to put some money in, you're accumulating over time and you can withdraw that money once the child gets to college age and, you, and you're paying for it. The way that it was, and you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I'm admittedly not an expert here. The way that it was is when money came out and was then used for that child's education, that looked like the child's income right. in that given year. Yeah. Right. So even, even though the grandparent owned the asset and therefore it's not really in that expected family contribution formula, right? Ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. Tap the grandparents here. This is a planning mm -hmm. implication that we would say is a positive. But yeah. after you did that the first year, now that did kind of become a part of the formula because the child was now showing that as income. And now a percentage of that that already went to education was expected to go to education the next year. Right. Yeah, it was it was kind of a, a silly premise. But again, um, it was it was a half half of a loophole that yeah, to right. your point, right, the, the, the asset itself was excluded from the calculation. So in theory, would help qualify for more aid or, or more federal loans. Um, but yeah, the, the subsequent year, whatever that distribution was, is now showing up as income for the child and probably then disqualifying them from you know some aid or, or more grants or loans, whatever that may look like. Moving forward, yeah. that income portion of, of how that was treated, that's off the no table. Longer. So if, so if right. it's a grandparent, aunt, uncle, pretty much anybody who is not your direct 
you know, family, not parents or guardians, if someone else owns a 529 in the student's name, not only is the asset, but now it's also the income will not find its way into that FAFSA calculation. So that's a win from a, a saving and planning perspective. Yeah, and we, we were kind of fans of this before that change. And I would right. say I'm going to be a super fan now <laughs> that um, I know that doesn't work for everyone. There certainly are family dynamics, right. um, age, there's so many other yes, considerations right. that are not just, hey, let's try to, let's try to beat the system. Yeah. But if there is an opportunity for my mom and dad to own a 529 plan instead of Desiree and I, it seems right. like that's a smart thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, there are, there are other trade-offs to consider. Um, but it is of all these different things, I think it has the, the biggest potential planning pro proactive side of the planning that can, that can yeah. go into it and, and work itself out in a favorable way. Right. Cause when we say grandparent owned, again, let's be clear, they own that asset, right? And you choose the beneficiary much mm -hmm. like you would on a retirement account, a non-retirement account, whatever. Um, but you can change the beneficiary at any time. You could choose to take the money out of that. There are implications to that, but you really sure. are relying on somebody else to own it. And you'd have to be pretty darn comfortable with that. Yeah. So I think the, the last major change, and they haven't necessarily put out the details, but they're, ch they're actually changing a part of the federal aid formula in the hopes of having an additional you know, one to two million students qualify for the maximum Pell Grant. Um, so not alone, it's a grant. This is money that doesn't have to get repaid. And it's focused on lower income or, or middle income families and students um, to try to give more free money um, to kids to pay for college. So I don't know that that necessarily has an implication other than like, the, the FAFSA in general, like many other government programs, is a needs-based system. Needs. Hence, yes, yeah. thank you. We should have we should have said that like at the <laughs> beginning. These changes sound so negative, but it is a right. needs-based system. Right. Just like Social Security, like needs-based. Yes. Yeah. So think of yeah, Social Security. We think about it uh, from our aspect. You know, the the healthcare credits. If you're buying private insurance right. on the, right. the healthcare exchange, most of the time though, these programs are all focused on income. So there is, sometimes there are a lot more planning opportunities to make yourself look less well off or to, to make right, yourself look right. poor from an income standpoint, but if you still have the asset, it doesn't disqualify you for some, from some of the benefits. Well, in this FAFSA calculation, the fact that income and assets for both the student and the parents are all factored in, um, it just, it gives you less flexibility to really play the planning game, um, which, I'm sure is all part of the intent. Um, there are right. still there are still still some things to to plan for, but um, it's not at this point. It doesn't feel like there's as much proactive planning that you can do. And again, I think maybe that's part of the part of the point behind these changes. Yeah. So I would say the proactive part that you can do is to go back to the very beginning and think about what is most important to you and why. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our conversations when we do meet somebody that is focused on education and focused on providing that um, as a gift, as a good life starter for their children, mm -hmm. um, it's really hard for an 18-year-old to kind of grasp the impact of those expenses. And some, some institutions are very expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, community college is not as much. 
trade schools. Right. There's many different ways to go about trying to further your education. Um, yeah. I just think it's really important on the front end now in recognizing how expensive things are getting. And on top of that, what would be expected to be you know, paid or loans have to cover. Those loans mm -hmm. need to be repaid at some point. Right. Um, I think it just, it forces, I hope people in our profession to have more of the important conversations on the front end now with this knowledge. Yeah. 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 And it just, to, to, to that end, I think, um, you know, just the thought of, and I'm thinking my own situation, right? Thinking about having an 18 year old make a huge life decision at this, at this point, it's, it's hard yeah. um, to feel, to feel confident in any one direction. Um, you know, do you, if, if the cost of college education continues to rise, yeah. At what point does that start to, or I shouldn't say start to continue to preclude some students that may have gone to higher education and now, you know, going to the workforce because that's the path of least resistance. And that's less of a hurdle from a financial aspect. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to me to see how this ends up playing out in the real world and, and what the, the actual outcomes will be for, for kids. Yeah. And I'll go out on a limb. This will be my last comment and then uh, we can let this be. I think my planning bias as somebody that hasn't sent kids to school yet. So I'm admitting <laughs> my bias. Um, we, we say it in other iterations. It's important to remain flexible. And while it's important, I think, to be proactive about the savings and saving for education is a very admirable thing. Um, the point is to help pay for that education one way or the other. And you certainly can help pay for it on the back end, too. There right. are loans and you want to be able to help that child once they graduate and get their financial life started by subsidizing them, by, you know, making sure that they can pay those loans or you take a portion of it. There's many mm -hmm. different ways that you can go about giving that gift. Um, the more you save on the front end, sometimes the more it hurts you in that in that family expectation too. So there's no silver bullet here. That's why it's important to have the conversations and figure out what's best for yeah. you. Right. Yep. Agreed. All right. It wasn't all <laughs> negative. No. Not yeah. all. Yeah. But the title of that it is paying for college just got harder. Yes, it certainly did. All right, sir, on that okay. note, good luck with all those college bills and congratulations to Ava. I'll let you know when I get the first one. <laughs> all right, catch you next See time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Adam and I really appreciate you tuning in. Please note that the opinions we voiced in the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be most appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, your accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to making any decisions or investing. Thanks for listening.